Okay, so fourth episode of my podcast, and I'm joined by Fnatic's coach. I, I guess still a coach, Vugo. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And you? Um, good. Good. It's the weekend. Um, so we're gonna obviously talk about the coaching thing that just came out. Um, came out yesterday. But first, first, let's talk about the big things that happened in your team. So, yeah. first of all, I mean, we we heard your. I'm sure we, everyone's seen your interviews with Fragbyte, so they know the backstory, sort of. They know that the uh, the changes were coming since E League, and it was sort of, or even even since uh, I guess ECS was what he said that at first it became obvious something was going to change, almost regardless of what happens. But were you still shocked at just how much change? I mean, I I would have never expected this outcome. I'm not sure if there's anyone in the esports world who thought that this could happen. No, I was I was really shocked as well. Um, and to start where it all began, uh, it was after ECS. Uh, we had a a few beers and emotions came, and we sat down and talked. Uh, and it was actually, I think it was Flash and Crims uh, with a slight of Dennis that said that they they wanted to to kick AW. Uh, and get like any player, more or less. Dennis was obviously very forward in recruiting Rain because they're good friends, and Rain is obviously a superstar. Uh, back then, I didn't want to change. I felt like that's that wasn't the reason why things went as it went. But I'd still say like we were still gonna be a a, a better team. Uh, so I stood behind the decision, even though I didn't like it. Um, Olaf at the beginning was very very laid back about it he felt like yeah sure if you want to swap sure do it like um so time went by and we were had actually made contact with face regarding rain and tried to see the uh the options of of recruiting him uh, and they were kind of open about it but said like i will we'll wait a few weeks and we'll see where we are but we'll probably find a solution more or less uh time went by and uh, when we came to E-League, um, um, things between players, I'd say, I think both Dennis and Flusha, they didn't get along really great at that tournament. Uh, without going into much details, I'd say that they became very, they, they became enemies, more or less. Um, <clears throat> so, but I still didn't feel that Flush I wanted to leave the team. I never saw that as an option. I always see Flush as a person that no matter uh, the matter the shit he gets obviously with the cheating scandal uh, or the assumed cheating scandal uh, and everything. He he's that kind of guy that like uh, fuck it and moves on. Uh -huh. So I I I thought that was a similar situation where he just like move forward, look forward and uh, put all his effort into winning again. Um, but he decided to leave the team. And as I said, that came as a real shocker. Uh, he was one of the person that, as I said, initiated the uh, idea of removing AW, as well as he was, along with me, the person that wanted to get a gaming house and get going, get practicing. Uh, me and Flusha was actually going to live in the gaming house, whereas the other players would come when we had tournaments and stuff. So so me and Flusha was going to live there and practically live for Counter-Strike in that house. So it came as a real shocker. Um, 
that his feelings towards Dennis and Olaf uh, was as, as hard as they were. So I think it was me, Karn, Olaf, Dennis and Crims who was down in the uh, hotel bar when we got the news that Flesha wanted. He's, he wrote to me and I told the boys and we're like, okay, but then we get rain and then we get another player and we focus forward. And at that point, Crims wanted um, me to be the in-game leader so that we could pick up Rain and another another Madfragger. Um, Olaf and Dennis didn't share the opinion because I I think it's only been Flush and Crims that has enjoyed my in-game calling. Maybe AW as well. We haven't talked that much about it. But I say Crims is probably the one that was most comfortable with me calling. Uh, so Olaf and Dennis didn't want me to call in that new lineup. And then Crims felt like okay, maybe I should join Godsent then because they have Pronax already. Um, so he joined them. Olaf and Dennis uh, looked at some options but decided to uh, to recruit players and play for Fnatic, and that's where we are today. So obviously this this all went down at E-League. One of the things I've noticed from, from my experience is usually these big player changes, whatever, they always originate at some event. Where it's just the right mixture of uh, right mixture of adult beverages and, yeah. and and all the right people around to talk to that get you thinking about the ideas. Because I feel like all these changes they start from the first time where you actually seriously think about something. Because you know you throw around these ideas a couple times, so you don't actually think about it. And then when you actually sort of put your opinion out there, it's kind of hard to back out of it. Is there any chance that had the off season begun before E League? this would have gone down entirely differently just because people would have had more time to cool down. Oh, that's really hard to say. Um, well, on the subject that alcohol brings player swaps, I'd say like, well, com- professional It's players, like a lubricant, put it that way. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> professional players are nerds. Nerds <laughs> probably was didn't grow up with a bottle of beer in their hands. So... They're not used to what alcohol can do to you, to your mind and to your body. So maybe that's that's one of the reasons why it always happens some shit when when people drink in the esports scene. But <clears throat> if the off season were earlier uh, and we at that point kicked JLW when we first thought that we well, not thought but when we first decided that we should do it, uh, pick up rain. I still feel like Flasha would have wanted to leave the team sooner or later anyway. It's hard to say if we picked up Rain and just crushed everything, became a god-tired team again. It would be hard for him to leave, but I'd still say that he'd be unhappy in the team. Okay, that's fair. Um, what's your honest assessment of JW as a player? Because I'll be like, I'd be like, I obviously know what it feels like to play with someone. You might, you probably remember Ruid, my old teammate. So you, you know, I've uh, gone through the pains of playing with someone who either wins you around or just loses you around, and it's 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 more frustrating than it's fruitful. I think as a teammate, even if it's even if he's a net positive for your team, it's just very frustrating sometimes when you lose rounds because of a player like that. Obviously, JW goes both ways, right? He wins you wins you rounds you shouldn't win. He loses rounds you shouldn't lose. What's your honest assessment of him? I think he was never the issue that we lost tournaments. So I think he has a very loose playstyle. I think 
he can do very stupid things, but he can get a lot out of these stupid things as well. I think it's a it's a coin flip. Uh, some of his decisions. Uh, I think it works having one of those players in your team. Uh, when you have more than one, it's obviously too much. I think the main problem why we wanted to kick AW was because him, him, Olaf, and Dennis are both are all three. Uh, players that want to make initiative and a team I'd say shouldn't have more than two players that do and uh, when Olaf came back from injury uh, Dennis had to take a step back and it was JW and Olaf that made the most initiations and Dennis wasn't happy about it and and then we had some discussion back and forth on how we should play and JW didn't feel comfortable in the in the role that we wanted him um, because he wanted to take a lot of initiative and playing his own style on probably every map. And we felt like on some maps, Dennis should be the one. On some maps, he should be the one. Olaf is obviously always the one. So it was between JW and Dennis, and that's what it all came down to. Makes makes sense. And I, I one thing that I would just add is what I, what I said before is, I think it's very valuable for your team to have like a loose cannon type player, if he's just like a... Even if he nets at zero, because it's just very hard to play against as an opponent. Even if sometimes you win rounds, it makes you, it forces you to watch out for that, which yeah. which can be can be painful. You mentioned Olaf's injury. How how is he now? Um, it doesn't affect him at all. Um, I've, I'd say when he returned uh, a few months ago, I'd say he was almost recovered. He couldn't play like ten hours a day, but he could still practice without the problem and play without having any. Uh, numb feeling or anything um, but but now he plays as much as he wants to and it doesn't affect him at all he does a lot of rehab training as well as regular training and it's making great progress with everything so it's great okay so that that sounds like we might get the uh, world beater back then which is obviously good for everybody who likes watching Counter-Strike exactly yeah okay so We've now we've now talked about your side of things in the shuffle. What do you make of this Gotten team? Obviously, I mean it's hard for you to speak about because a bunch of your old players. But how do you, how do you think it'll work with Pronax? Um, what do you think about Schneider getting another shot in the in the big leagues and just the composition of the team? Well, on paper, they're they're a great team. They're a contender to be the number one team in the world. Uh, but then again, so were we back then. So. A, a, a team can can on paper be the best team in the world, but I don't I don't feel like they have everything uh, sorted out uh, behind the game because the reason why they kicked Schneider in the first place was because they had too much fun and it was becoming uh, not serious on practice uh, because Flash IAW and Schneider has the same humor and they have really fun together. Uh, and they're really fun guys. I I like them all, but still, uh, they should consider it more as a work than anything else. Uh, shouldn't focus that much on having fun. You can have fun when you're not playing. Uh, well, of course, it's not going to be super boring every time you play, but you you need to find some balance to it. And I felt like that was probably their problem back then. Um, when Crims joined, uh, him and Olaf was good friends, but Crims uh, kind of quickly got a good um, relationship with the AW. They got the same humor as well. And so uh, then back again, it was Crims, AW, and Flush that had a lot of fun. 
Uh, I don't think they had as much fun as as the previous uh, triplet, but but still they they connected really well socially. Um, so now with the new Godsend lineup, when when there's four of them, I I I I don't see it. I they they focus too much on having fun, and. I think it's sad because, as I said, I think they're all superstar players, and if if they can solve that, if they really can put in the hard work, they're probably gonna be contender for the top, number one team in the world. But I don't see it. Well, that's a that's a more honest opinion that I that I would have expected anyone to share. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the one thing that really boggles me in all of this, I'm like, okay, Fnatic would have never seen this coming. Godsend. Never in a million years would I have thought this would happen. But more than anything, how could NIP sit all of this out? Like, are, are they living in a different universe than the rest of us? Because the, the universe where I live in, they haven't had a very good year. They they went out of, out of the major in the group stage, plus the decider against Flipside. They're not legends coming into the next major. How do they sit this out still? I mean, I get the fact that they're core for our best friends. They've been playing together for four years now, all that stuff. But how much longer can this go on? I I don't know. I don't want to talk about other teams in that way, but I still feel like they they are not good anymore. They are not good enough anymore. They they need to they need to really look into themselves. Um, do we have the best lineup? If we do, what what is going wrong? They need to go go back to the basics. If they really if they really have belief in this in this lineup, they should do some big major changes. Like I, I don't even know what it can be. I haven't been like around the players game wise. I haven't coached them or I mean listened to them while they're playing. But there's they need to go back to the to the roots and see what's what's really what really is the problem and work everything from from scratch. So, Pit is uh, apparently injured, and they've played a couple online games now with Disco Doppelin. Um What what do you think about the the youngsters in Sweden? I think everybody's been looking at Disco Doppelin and Draken from Epsilon. Both look incredibly good. I said that. I, I thought that NIP would have been really interesting if they picked up both of them. Obviously, not going to be happening now, but what do you make of those two guys, and are there any other players in Sweden that you think could be making the leap in the next, say, next time big teams make changes? I think every player in Epsilon uh, has great potential. Um, I think it's hard for me to, to call a player a young talent. I mean, JW won his first major when he was 17 or 18 years old. So for me, a young talent should be younger than the Epsilon guys. Uh, Disco Doplan is, what is he, 21 or 22? So for me, I'm not surprised that he's as good as he is. I think he has the potential to be a superstar, but I wouldn't call him a young talent. Um, I think Disco Doplan is probably the one that has the most potential of breaking into a top team already. But I still feel that all Epsilon guys are are promising for the future. Um, apart from Epsilon, I don't really see any player outside the top team right now. I mean, obviously, Porf, who was left behind from the Godsend and decided to to take a break, 
uh, he obviously has a lot of potential as well. And he is young. I think he's born 98. So he's 18 years old. Um, but other than that, I I don't see any s- super young talents right now. In Sweden, at least. Um, you played with Plesen for uh, for a little bit before switching to one of the players who joined your team now. Um, how How from the middle of nowhere was he actually picked up? Because I know the statement said that he was sort of a guy from FPL who looked promising. Obviously, didn't go the way you wanted. But where do you actually see him? And what do you think of that experiment in hindsight? I, I like the experiment. Um, I was actually... I wanted to pick up Venton from the beginning. I always... I have a good relationship with him from back in 1.6 and I always consider him a very smart and calm player. And that's what I thought that we needed back then. We needed a someone to do the job properly and that understood the game well. Uh, he didn't have to 30 bomb every match. And I think that Venton was the the perfect choice back then. Um, but I didn't have anything against picking Plesson. Um, but it it his inexperience shined through from the first practice. He was very unsure of what he was doing. He was uh, not taking any initiative himself and he followed the players like a little tail. He had no confidence and he he felt really lost. So I still feel he has a lot of individual potential. He understands the individual part of the game really well. Uh, he could do like clutches. He understands uh, opponents' movements and stuff like that. So he is a smart player in that sense, but he has so much to learn when it comes to team play. Uh, and I'd like to see him be picked up by by some tier two or tier three three team. Um, just to get experience and work it from there because he has a long way to the top. So the new Fnatic team obviously went on now a part of it. Can you just first of all go through the new guys in terms of what kind of roles you expect them to play? How do you think they'll fit in? And then talk about how how Dennis and Olaf will play from now on compared to compared with in the past. Uh, I think it it will uh, it will be on everyone's shoulder to to find a place for every player in the team. Uh, even though Olaf and Dennis are obviously the real superstars of the team as of now, I see potential in everyone to become, but they are obviously the ones that are the most experienced in everything. It It is a lot on, the, on their shoulders not to expect the other three players to play around them, but rather the other way around, because they are the more the most comfortable players in every situation, more or less, they can play in so many different roles and ways, and it's it's better for them, at least in the beginning, to uh, to adapt to the other players to make them comfortable, and to find uh, so that every player finds uh, their comfort zone really quick. <clears throat> and um, Olaf and Dennis will probably have like the same roles that they had in Fnatic with small adjustments. Uh, Twist is an offensive player. Venton and Lecker is defensive players. So Lecker is probably one of those guys that you... Well, he's he's the new Crims, more or less. You put him on, on a B-bomb site and expect him to lock down that bomb site. We're not playing Inferno anymore, but I think Lecker would be a perfect option to put on the B-bomb site on Inferno. So he's, he's that kind of player. I think he's very similar to Crims. He's very calm in-game. He has great communication and... Uh, 
yeah, very calm. So it, it suits him well to play in that role. Um, Benton, he's he's very versatile as well as well. Um, he can play very aggressively and be really good as an entry fragger, but he's he's great as a support player as well. Now Benton will be the in-game leader, so I think he will do whatever the team needs him to do. Um, so he will be very very uh, versatile uh, in, in, while playing as well. Uh, <clears throat> Twist is is one of those guys that wants to. He plays a lot of uh, a place a lot in. Uh, what he feels right now, he is like a small version of JW. He he just has a feeling and goes for it. So he he's probably gonna do a lot of initiating uh, along with Dennis. Uh, but we have only been practicing like three three or four days now, so I think everything will be a lot more clear uh, as time comes by, goes by. Um, so at least NIP. We've heard a million times now. Tried to pick up Twist a couple times in the past. Never joined. Um, I suppose he must have just viewed this Fnatic team as a better opportunity to finally go ahead. But do you actually have any insight as to why he chose to stay with sort of like his friends for a longer period of time instead of instead of uh, jumping to the big leagues? I think honestly he saw. I mean, when he got the opportunity in Godsend to end with Pronax, I honestly thought that. He saw more potential in that team than in NIP. Huh. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't know, but I, I think so. I mean, I guess, I guess it's not an impossible thought given we saw Gutsen play a lot of good CS too at times. It's not like they were far away from beating NIP at uh, it was Malmo, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was the that was the big win so far this year. In I mean, it was obviously he's like he likes to have, to be in his comfort zone when it comes like socially. He knew the guys and and to to risk that to play with four new guys that he haven't been playing with before. I think that was part of it as well, obviously, but mm -hmm. a little of both, I guess. Um, who's gonna be who's gonna be the opera? On the team now, I think in the Fragbite interview you said that Ola's gonna be helping quite a bit, um, oh. but I think Twist also has been doing that in his previous teams. I think um, Olaf is gonna be the main opper. Uh, Dennis and Twist will pick it up uh, on occasions. I'd probably say that Olaf is the terrorist opper at all points, and on CT, whoever needs an op on their position instead of rotating Olaf around uh, will pick it up. Because I think Twist, Dennis, and Olaf are, are all world-class opers. Makes sense. Um, so the next major is not going to be now until supposedly January. Um, the qualifier for the next major, at this point, it's almost more of an event than the than the next major, especially because you guys have to go through the qualifying stages now as well. Yeah. Not even not even going to have that spot there. So first of all, what do you what do you think of the qualification system? Well, I think it's good. I mean, it's to have the European qualifier and a qualifier. Uh, I feel like there should be more spots to the European teams, uh, but still, I I think it's it's decent. It works. Yep. Fair enough. I think I think the if if anything needs to change it's the the amount of teams that play the major i think 16 teams is not enough anymore there's so many good teams that should be in the major so they should extend the slots in the major before 
thinking about doing anything about the qualifiers. How do you feel about the format at the majors? That's something that people started talking about. I think first during Columbus, that sort of became a topic. And then during, during Cologne, a ton of people started talking about it. How do you feel about the, about the major format? It's, it's not good. It's, it's somewhat outdated, I'd say. The majors are so big right now. Uh, and for a team to go out on two best of ones, I mean, it's, it's not good enough. I mean, I feel so, so bad for, uh, for G2 when we beat them in the group. Um, and so they should, they should redo the format. They should add more teams and they should have like a format closer to how international works. Mm-hmm. How, how did you like the Katowice format where you basically have these large groups where you play tons of games versus, I'm sure you saw the... Uh, the uh, the Swiss format that was used at the I think the previous major qualifier that's now going to be used at I think I am uh, ESL one New York and then yeah. Oakland's going to have the the large groups. What do you think about those, for example, as alternatives? I think both are great. Uh, I'd like I never played in a Swiss format, but it takes a lot for a team. It's it's hard to prepare because you never know what teams you're going to play in a Swiss format. So you're going to be you're going to it's going to be hard for like the lesser teams that rely more on preparation. Uh, but I still like to try that format out. I, I see it has a great potential. Uh, but I like both formats better than, than the, uh, the current major one. Does the fact that the next major is now for, let's say, almost six months, uh, does that actually affect you in any way? Because I've seen, I've seen a lot of outcry about it, whereas I'm honestly not that sure that it's as big of a problem considering how many large-scale tournaments we have regardless i think they when it's gonna be so long till the next major i think they're gonna have to do something special about it um even more than just raising price money or like maybe extend some teams change the format do something more with it so so that it's really something that people will look forward to, both uh, the community as well as the players' teams. Um, now with the uh, with every now that you no longer can bet on matches, uh, they need to see to add more value to the viewers uh, than previous majors, and I think that's gonna be a tough challenge for them to get the, the viewership back. Duncan uh, Thorin was saying that. He, he felt like SK was sort of robbed from having the chance to win all three majors in a year, something obviously no one's, no one's ever done in the past. Um, I, I actually view it the other way around, where considering first surgery and the fact he's going to be sidelined for a bit, and they had to skip the SLTV finals in China as a result, I actually think it's almost better, because it, it, I think it's a harder task to win three majors across like I don't know, say seven or eight months, because that basically means you'd have to peak, either be the best for seven, eight months in a row, and yeah. by a big enough margin that you don't lose any of the big games at the majors that actually matter, or you just have to peak three times at the right times versus I almost feel like it's easier for the Brazilians mentally to know that they can sort of cruise for the next couple of months. You know, it's not like they're not going to try to win. They're going to give it the best they have. But, you know, they don't have the same same sort of pressure where they know, like, okay, we've got a couple months. We can slowly get fur back integrated into the team, make everything work, try to pick up some titles, and then sort of recharge for the major. How do you yeah, feel I about think it? it? 
I think it's I think it's good for them as well. Um, with with all with everything you said, like get fur back, in. and when it comes to winning three majors in a year, I don't I don't see that as an accomplishment more than winning three in a row, no matter no matter the calendar year. I mean, if they win the next major, they won three majors in a row. It doesn't matter if the third major isn't at the same year. It doesn't affect me personally at all. So I would be equally impressed if they win the third no matter when it is what do you what do you think actually makes this case so good i mean you've obviously you haven't played them that many times not since i don't think have you played them at all no i don't think so after they after they won columbus but no. obviously before that you had tons of close series against them and you've seen them play a lot and i'm sure you sure you've watched them with the eye of being prepared to play them if you were to face them at some point, even though you didn't get the chance. What do you think actually made them so good? Well, Fallen have said in interviews that he's uh, looked through Fnatic a lot and adapted their playstyle as we play or played. So that's obviously a success. Um, no, but I think they have all the, the assets that we did as well. They had a, a great foundation in in the strategical play they have both uh, very good offensive and defensive plays both at ct and t they have great individual players um, they're comfortable in playing in so many ways uh, the same as we were so we could always change the the game plan or the change the match totally uh, depending on who we were playing and what was happening and we never felt uncomfortable in in playing any opponent on any map or anything and I feel like that's their strength right now as well they're they're very versatile when it comes to map pool uh, they're not a typically good CT side or T side they just they can crush a team on T or they can shut down another team on CT uh, it all depends on what, uh, who they're playing and on what map and on what day, really. Uh, so they're not bad at anything, and that's they're they're maybe not best at everything, but they're not bad at anything, and that's their biggest strength, I'd say. What do you make of Virtus Pro? Obviously, now that we now that we know what what we know that you said before about Fnatic potentially knowing that you were going to make some changes already a while back, that. Do you feel like that takes, first of all, something out of the E-League win? Um, second of all, they were the one team who actually took a map out of SK in Cologne and obviously have all of a sudden just suddenly risen back to the Virtus Plow mode after having a very, very disappointing, I guess, like four or five months of the year where they accomplished almost nothing. What do you make of that team now? I think they're a great team. Uh, I would never take anything away from them when it comes to the E-League win because... Um that we already knew about the changes didn't affect how we played at all. It, I'd, I'd say we even, in that, in that sense, we, we played better because we saw the light of the tunnel, more or less. Like People were slightly irritated at JW when he did his plays sometimes, uh, let's see, on, on ECS or on the Major or whatever. But on E-League, when everything was 100%, what was going to happen. I, I think everyone was having a better mood towards it and felt like it doesn't matter if you do it because he's out of the team in a week anyway. So we just move forward and play the game. So I don't think it uh, the fact that we were going to swap a player affected anything. I think there were other reasons why we lost that final. But 
I still felt like VP played very great. Uh, they 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 owned us more or less. I mean, both strategically and individually. So all credits to them. They're a great team right now. They're in great form. They've always been a team that rely very much on on form and momentum. But I still feel like they have in recent weeks and on e-league they have been they've had much more to fall back on they had they actually had really good strate- uh, strategies against us in the final if you watch that game you can see they had they had really good ideas uh, that they haven't shown uh what i know uh previously so they had new ideas and they had more to fall back on and they played great so Yesterday, Valve uh, just dropped a bomb on us, basically, or was it two days ago now, with the with the slotting coaching rule, and that's obviously something that, first of all, affects you a ton personally, but as a team, probably you are not the one that's going to suffer the most. Um, when you think of it that way, I think Navi first, because obviously Starix has been their in-game leader coach, and now they just reply Zeus, who used to lead them in-game in the past with Simple. Uh, very different player. Before we get into get into the teams and everything, what do you think about the rule change, and why do you think it's important? I don't think the the rule is important. I think it's stupid. But um, I think um, some teams will be affected more than others. Um, Valve's reasoning behind it is that they want to see the best five players, uh, and I I see some truth to it. I feel like it's it's slightly boring to see five superstars and a coaching in-game leader, but I still feel like the decision was made so shockingly. Uh, everything happened so quick, and there's so many teams that built... I mean, Navi obviously did the change because they 100% thought that they'd have a coaching game, but um, I kind of lost track. Um no, when it comes to coach, um, I don't know what I was gonna say. Sorry, that's uh, that's that's fine. <laughs> well, first of all, one thing one thing you can probably touch on is I think I think the people who are in favor of this rule, they all seem to think exactly what you what you said before, which is that if you allow in game in game leader coaches, it's gonna lead to you picking up the five best aimers, and then you have a coach who tells them everything to do, and they don't even have to think for themselves. Some people even even suggested to me like, well, where does it end? What what when you have a have a coach for every player and the players only like the guy making the mechanical movements on the mouse and you're the one telling like, I mean, this is really far fetched, isn't it? It it is, but I, I like the idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> having one brain and and one machine. No, but <clears throat> I mean. It's gonna affect uh, some teams more than others, uh, and and the coach for 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 myself, it it affects me a lot. But it's gonna be interesting still to see how this will pan out, um, because well, some teams affected more than others. We are probably one of the teams that are affected the least right now because we have a new team. We already had Venton as a new in-game leader. We're probably going to play quite loose in the beginning. We will not have a big strategic book. Uh, obviously going to uh, benefit SK as well because they don't have a coach. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, the upcoming tournaments. 
uh, how how much it will affect the teams. I actually talked to Storix. Uh, that was that was what I was trying to say earlier, actually. Uh, and he said like he wasn't that uh, mad about the rule. He said like, well, it is what it is. We move forward. My role will change a lot. I will do more preparation work, but we will still work it out, and we will still do good things. So I was actually surprised by how how calm he was uh, about the decision. Well, he's a very pragmatic guy from from what yeah, I've yeah, learned he from is. He's speaking a great to him. Doesn't yeah. get too tied with the tidy the stuff that can't be changed. So that I mean that makes sense. Something some people have also suggested as a potential compromise would be to allow the coaches to speak during freeze time. What would you think of that as a middle ground to not allowing them to do basically anything, which is what the rule is now? I think like limiting a coach, I mean, it's obviously better than nothing, I guess, but I think, well, I, I want it as it always been. I want, <laughs> I want a coach. I want to have a coaching PC and I want to be able to help the guys at all points. But as I said, we will see how how this will be how this will affect all teams. Uh, it would be really fun if we got the invite to ESL New York. It's not quite sure we had it in the beginning, but now it's not certain that it's either us or Godsend that gets the invite. But it would be fun to go there and see 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 everything in action more or less. So and then I we can give feedback for real. Yeah. So I mean, I compared compared coaching to American football. Because it's obviously obviously a sport for those who watch where the coaches just run the game yeah. between plays, which would be the equivalent of only being around, allowed to call during freeze time. But my stance to coaching, and I mean, I've been one of the guys saying since I think three years ago or something was the first time I wrote about it and said it was going to be the future because I was forced to do that at a couple of WCG events, like I guess like six, seven years ago now when I was playing for EG because uh, it was a... Uh, like a nationally restricted tournament, so I wasn't allowed to play, but they allowed me to coach anyway. So I yeah. could already tell then that you just get more information when you're a coach, because at least I've never had any team that I played for have good enough communication where I felt like I would know everything that was actually going on. And all of a sudden, when I was standing behind people, I didn't even have a PC. I was just standing there and just seeing how everybody was moving. I thought that it would be it would be incredibly easy to fix things like timings and tactics, it'd be easy to sort of put the big picture together of what's happening on the map because you act all of a sudden you see whatever what's going on everywhere even even if someone forgets to communicate that you know quote unquote minor detail that actually matters quite a bit so i've always felt like coaching is something that just makes counter strike more competitive and as a result makes it a better spectator sport yeah um, I, I totally agree um I, I felt it as well when i was calling i only called for like a month of practice and and the group uh, group phase in e-league so but uh, as you said the timings are easier it doesn't matter how good of a communication a player can have you're, you're not going to get all information from him anyway so for a coach to to be able to coach in game as i've been doing so much online recently and everything um it's as you say it's, it raises the competitive level of of the game uh makes it much more fun to watch because things happens as as intended more often like mm -hmm. you don't have to do those uh um, improvised mid-round calls or you don't you there's so many rounds that goes like 90 percent and yep. you have to adapt to that 
And when you have a coach, a 100% in-game leader uh, coach, you probably will see a lot more 100% set rounds and greater mid-round calls and, and everything, good timings. So so in, in many of the big sports, you see rule adjustments because of how things are for the spectators. So think NHL about think 11 years ago now, they changed, some of, they changed the size of the goalie's crease, changed some of the rules to make the game faster so there'd be more goals. In the NBA, they're getting rid of Hackashack now or, well, at least limiting it a little bit. So in, in all the traditional sports, basically, the, the goal is to always improve the spectator product. Why do you think Valve just... I mean, to me, frankly, they just seem ignorant to that. They, it seems like they're describing what's best for, best for the guy who picks up the game from Steam Store and goes to play matchmaking. I think that's their number one priority. And frankly, I think they're completely sleeping on the fact that Counter-Strike could actually not only get even bigger than it already is, but it could actually stay as a very popular spectator sport for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, Valve wants the experience. <laughs> what, what they see in a major should be exactly what they do at home on matchmaking. So they want the same experience both ways. And that's why they don't want a coach, because you don't have a coach when you play matchmaking. And that's obviously a really stupid... Uh, really stupid call from them but i know for a fact that like every every change that valve does is based on statistics from matchmaking if a if a map is being replaced it is because that map isn't played anymore as much as usually on matchmaking when they nerfed the silence cult back a lot of months now was because too many people used the cult uh the silence cult uh instead of the uh, m4a4 Statistically, for matchmaking, they had to do some adjustments, either buff the uh, non-silencer or nerf the silencer, so they did that. So every, everything they do, instead of instead of like asking pro players and say, how do you want CS to be, and we'll make it for the community so that we both get a very competitive and great game, and so that the uh, the community experience that as well racing round times instead of instead of lowering the round time on matchmaking to fit the pro scene they raised the uh, the timers from matchmaking to the pro scene and then all these changes that they they make the uh, the pro scene adapt to the community instead of the other way around is wrong i feel like valve has so much to learn from the pro scene because we probably know more about the game than they do we understand the game in a way that they don't. And I think we can help each other so much. But they're very ignorant towards that fact that we actually know a lot about the game and how it should be played. Because we played for like 15 years. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely the case. Um, and I think, I think something that just always frustrates people, and I think even now the top post on Reddit is Thorin basically saying that he had a had a conversation with the CSGO people around the time of this cheating scandal, so DreamHack winner 2014, where the Valve guys basically said, like, well, really, existence should have known someone on his team was cheating, like like implying that he was condoning it or something, even though what we've, what we've learned of how these cheats can be, I'm not even sure if you really know, but, you know, some of the stuff that we've seen on YouTube, I'm sure you've also seen. Like, yeah, Flash has ever... told me everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I mean, like, this is undetectable. 
Like I, I had yeah, of course it is. I mean, how could existence know if every? I mean, they have like a hundred k spectators watching the game, and no one had a, an idea that uh, that Cooley was cheating. So, why would existence be any difference? I, it's stupid. It, it really is. Um, but what I was gonna say is, I had a similar experience at the the very first major, the one that uh, the Fnatic won where Karn beat me and Thorin in the predictions contest for that. Still <laughs> still hurts. That probably yeah. that probably played a part in the po- original podcast dying. I'm not sure if we ever did uh did an episode after that. I think we just couldn't put up with Karn's <laughs> eternal smile <laughs> after he got that one right. But I had a I had a similar experience where I was talking to the Valve devs. Um I mean I obviously all the majors that I've that I've gone to or the events where they've been, I usually talk to them. And some of them are, they seem very reasonable. You talk to them and they, they seem like they're receptive to stuff. But then, I mean, I have no idea how the decision-making progress works or process works for them. But it just seems like nothing ever ever comes out of it. No. And, that's, and obviously, that's also something that Olaf tweeted as well a couple of days ago when the rule was changed. I think every decision making they do, it feels like a reversed Russian roulette. Like <laughs> one one chance in a six that they actually do something good, and more more often they shoot themselves in the foot. <laughs> like they, they, there's so many things they can do to the game that would improve the, like as you said, the spectating quality, the community quality, and the and the competitive way of playing. But instead, like. Well, we need some new sounds for the deagle. And like, really? Is is that what what does that give at all? Does it gives you 10% more spectators? Does it please the community? It it feels like why are you even considering this as something to change when there's so much other stuff that you can work work on? One thing one thing I said with these changes is and obviously I mean, this is a bit of a hyperbole because no one's no one's gonna quit watching CS just because the coaching rule was changed. But I do think when you make a bad decision and then you make another one and then you keep making these questionable decisions, I think the I think the effects do compound after time. I mean, you're obviously someone who who could be doing a lot of things. You have a degree, so you could you could work a very different thing than than just coaching coaching static or working esports. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of people who are either in a similar situation with you where they work in esports in a job related to CS, let's say coaching or being an analyst for a team or being a player on a fringe team where you're not making tons of money, but you're hoping you might get there in a little bit. Things like that, where you're sort of affiliated. I, I would feel like if I was still working, well, I guess I never really worked full-time. I played full-time, but if I was still in esports full time, I would just be sort of scared for my future because there's so much uncertainty and you never ever know what's going to happen with with these new changes that keep coming out. Like I, I would not feel comfortable with all the possibilities that could possibly happen. Have like this is this something you actually thought about when the when the rule came out? Yeah, I agree. Um, I'd say I'm. I wouldn't say that I'm afraid of my my future when it comes to esports, even though I have a degree in in uh, in another area. I feel like I want to work with esports for a long time. I'm very, I'm very happy with what esports has become. Uh, but when it comes to the survival of CS, I'm becoming more and more afraid uh, every day. Like removing betting, obviously it's a good thing. Uh, getting 
uh, underaged betting away from from the scene is good, but it still will affect the the viewership and the overall interest in the game. So, of course, I'm worried about the survival of CS, but I I think that I'll always be interested in esport and work in some related to esport. I'm very fond of Dota and Overwatch as well. So uh, there's there's always gonna be a work for me. I hope and think. <laughs> and and I, and I noticed at the end of your Bragbite interview that Patrick's finally gotten you to drink the Fatty Kool Aid completely because of the because of the what? final word you had for the interview. Oh and yeah, I, <laughs> and I I've, I've noticed Patrick has that effect on people. And Fnatic had that effect on him since the early days. It's something me and Thorne used to make fun, used to make, uh, used to make fun of. But I mean, do you actually? Would you see yourself, for example, working in Fnatic's management, like Karn has after he quit playing? I'm actually this isn't official yet, but I can still say that I will not be coaching Fnatic CS for a long time. We've been looking into getting another coach. Um, I can't tell you who, but I probably will probably be announced very shortly. Um, I will still, however, work with the team both as a manager, help out with analytics, because without a coach, as an in-game coach, there's going to be a lot more work in preparation. So we're going to share that work, me and the new coach, and I'm going to help them with a lot of other stuff uh, and maybe do some other work with Fnatic. And this was a mutual decision by me and the team because um, as I said Olaf and Dennis didn't want me to call anymore or, or not anymore but at all um, and they felt like they needed uh, some fresh ideas from someone else and I felt like it's been a, ve a very stressful one and a half year for me and I wanted less travels I obviously gonna travel a lot with the team still but I will only go with the the big tournaments and it was be will be a lot less stressful for me so I will work more in the background of the team than I, I have been for the last year. That's that's actually very interesting. How how much do current elite level teams actually, from your your knowledge, employ people just, for example, watch demos and do things like that around the biggest tournaments? Say, for example, around the majors. Yeah. How do you think all the top teams have people just solely watching demos for them? Um. Well, to compare first with League of Legends, for example, uh, most teams have like two, three, or maybe four coaches that like they either focus on different teams or focus on uh, different metas or, or anything. So like they have their, their different specialities, which I think is great. And I feel like CS needs this as well. Uh, maybe I will focus on only the CT sides and the new coach will, will focus on on the T sides, or I will focus on, on some teams and he will focus on other teams and stuff like that. So there is so much work that can be done and to have more people working on it is is obviously great. Um, I know for a fact that uh, Astralis, uh, at least they had a guy that all, all he did was watching us. All he did was watching demos from us. Uh, and it was actually the former, former coach of Dignitas, I think, so it's 3K2. If you mm -hmm. remember that guy, yep. uh, this was probably a year ago when when ours and Astralis rivalry was as biggest. They were putting so much work in just anti-stratting and knowing what we did. So they had a person that actually worked solely on looking at, through our matches. Um, I know for a fact that Navi has two coaches. Um, 
and they have a manager as well that has a degree in psychology. So he focuses obviously on the social part of it, whereas uh, Starix focuses on the strategical. And then they have another coach that helped them uh, finding uh, finding smokes, finding new tactics, and looking through uh, opponents as well. So they have a really uh, a great staff behind them as well. Um, when it comes to other teams, I don't know that much, but I think I think all teams have more than one player behind the team, and we hadn't before. So it's a, it's a great change for us as a team as well to have two people that work with the team. Hearing that absolutely kills me because it's it's one of the one of the things that I was most excited about with coaching is all the other possibilities that is that it opens. And I've said before um, that first of all, I think the I think the natural evolution of things was to have two different coaches, sort of like in football, you have a defensive coordinator, you have an offensive coordinator, because Counter-Strike is so different on CT side and terrorist side. You really you really can easily split the job between two different guys. I don't think there's any necessary correlation with both halves. So first of all, I thought that was, that was like a natural next step where you'd have two coaches, one for each side. And I also thought that it was natural that you would just have sort of more and more assistant people who would do exactly what you said 3K2 was doing for, for Astralis, which is just focusing on your demos. And that's the kind of stuff, much like being able to call mid-round, that I think, that I think frankly, can take CS forward to levels where we haven't been before. Because, I mean, pe- these guys have been playing for a decade. Forrest has been playing Counter-Strike for 15 years. He was already the world's best player a decade ago. He literally won the Player of the Year award a decade ago. I think it was August 2006. No. On, I mean, you know, we've seen where Counter-Strike gets with a group of five people, but this is the kind of stuff that, that could allow it to get significantly further and to new level. And that's why, especially hearing you talk about it as well, this absolutely kills me, knowing that unless these new rules gets turned, we're just going to miss out on all this development. And especially when it's for such a silly reason as, you know, it's not the same as matchmaking. I mean, come on, every single sport in the world has a head coach that's allowed to do basically whatever and the coaching staff plays a huge part in all the major sports in fact the, the best coaches in many of the sports are some of the most profiling uh, people in the in the entire games yeah i mean if you look at football uh regular football not american football <laughs> like the the coach is in, in football is the coach is probably the one with the least uh, input when you compare to like American football or hockey or or anything like that where he has a lot more to say to the players uh, handball where there's uh, uh, where they change players like defensively offensively they have a chance to talk to them all the time all the time uh, but in, to compare with the M, the matchmaking and the pro scene I mean it's not like Every time I want to play some football, it's not like I have to get uh, 20, what is it, 21 people. We have to play 45x2. Like, we can play football for 20 minutes and it still be football. And we can watch a pro match where we know the set rules and everything. Um, like, it's still the same game. Even if you change small aspects of it, it's still going to be the same experience, the same game. So I, I don't buy the argument from Valve that it has to be exactly as it is on matchmaking because football obviously have survived quite a long time. Do you think CS actually still has ways to go without without sort of uh, additional things such as coaching? Like, do you actually think that there's ways that the level of level of play can reasonably grow in the 
in the upcoming years? I think like it's going to be really interesting to see how this develops now uh, with with limited coaching as access. Uh, as I said, there will be a lot more work for the coach uh, when it comes to preparation. Maybe teams will recruit even more people and focus a lot more on preparation. Um, and what that what that can do to uh, to the competitive level is going to be very interesting to see. Um, but I mean, Counter Strike, even though like the viewership has been somewhat lower now uh, since the betting has been removed, I still feel like there's still a lot of players that play it, and there's more and more not top teams, but there are more and more teams that uh, comes into the scene. Um, Asia is uh, the the uh, the Asian teams are getting better and better. They're coming more and more Asian teams. So I think it will grow a lot and that will develop the game as well. Uh, but I'd, I'd really like to see like some new formats, as I said, in the major. They, they still need to improve some things to make it more attractive for both the, the pro teams and the spectators to keep it alive. Speaking of just to... I just need to jump back to the format thing, even though we talked about that earlier. I've, you know, I notice people always talk about you getting knocked out over over two best of ones, but I've actually always felt like that's not the biggest issue. I felt like felt like the fact that you can do what Liquid did and Columbus and win two the two best of ones, and if you get lucky with the quarterfinal matchup, actually get a fairly easy top four, just winning two best of ones and a best of three against the second place or another group. I've always felt like that's actually the bigger problem because if you only had all the games that, so basically the first round game and then the winner's game, best of three, you'd still get to play a best of three. And I think I would rather choose the winner through best of threes. And then if if schedule really doesn't allow it, I would be okay playing the lower bracket games within groups with best of one. What do you think about that? Well, I think the problem is when, when a tournament is as big as it is, teams prepare so much, like no teams should go there and play two maps and go home. No matter if they're super underdogs, they they're there for a reason, and they should should have a chance of showing themselves. I agree that uh, for a team to get through the groups with two best of ones is stupid as well. I think there's there should be a lot more matches in the group phase, uh, like in international. You play a full group stage, and the only the only thing that it decides is whether or not you're going to the winner or the lower bracket. So you're not, you're never out of the tournament in the group phase. At least was uh, the latest uh, international, which I felt was great. So you, like, the, you you should go there and play at least like five matches or so, because you're there for a reason. You've prepared so much, and you should get your your time in the spotlight. I guess that also speaks for the uh, Katowice or. I guess it's in now Oakland, Oakland type format, yeah. which would which would work great with that. It would it would guarantee everybody more games. Um, going back to coaching a little bit, one thing that I thought that could make a big difference and still can even with this new coaching thing because it's more related to preparation is basically. I think we've I think we've heard I think it was GB James who said that Liquid got some sort of advanced analytical help for for their last two major runs, and I've seen some of the stuff that that some some websites are already able to do with demos where they create heat maps out of them. They create like flash maps for basically you see on a map where all the flashes where flashes exploded, where all the Molotovs exploded, where teams smoked. You see, let's say you load the map and you see where all of Meister 
has moved on the map before getting a kill as a terrorist or CT. I think things like that, once once we get proper services, we're able to analyze demos in in super meaningful ways. I think that can actually add more than than just watching demos. Because, I mean, we, we know that humans just aren't that amazing at finding patterns and things. And... I think if you if you're able to extract that information efficiently from demos, I think that's something that could actually sort of have a leaping effect in how yeah, Counter Strike yeah. is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I've actually tried some of those features out. I don't. I feel like they're they're still in like beta versions. There's still so much work to do, to be done with them. Uh, I think that when it comes to getting a lot of information really quick, they are great. I think they will never replace. Uh, just a demo watching because you get you still get like how a player plays not rather than like what it's it's hard to describe but you still get information on a demo that you can't from from like a an overview or uh, from a heat map but I'd still say it would help a lot having those uh, like let's say for an example like how how does Kenny's heat map differs from when he has a cult compared to an op. Like you can see those differences, and if you know he has an op, or like because it de- depends so much on uh, on w- what what kind of utilities they have. Like you can see a pattern for let's say SK um, when they have like let's say ten or more grenades. They, do they tend to go more towards A? If they have less grenades, where do they tend to go? So you have to put in all these kind of filters into the heat map thing because you can't just put a ma- uh, a whole match in and see a heat map because you have to see you have to filter it out in a better mm-hmm. way. And then I see a lot of potential in it. Yeah, and I think it's definitely a complementary thing. I don't think it's ever going to replace watching demos because that's you know that's where the meat is. But I think it's uh, first of all it's a complementary thing. It helps you when you're at a tournament because you don't have an unlimited amount of time even if you have multiple people watching demos and more importantly i think i think the the way it allows you to recognize patterns it sort of helps you to know what to look for in the demo because like, exactly. we've, we've yeah. both been here right like we both watched 10 demos of a team and we've missed things that had we had a single heat map for those we probably would have seen in literally 15 seconds yeah yeah i agree it's it's definitely going to be interesting when they they get more developed and and you can really get to work with them a hundred percent. And the next next step in this, once we have the heat maps and that kind of stuff, I think, and this is what I've told some people, uh, some people who who coach some of the elite teams when I have conversations with them, is I think the next level is that you have video, basically you have a way where you filter out the clips from demos. Because if you look at traditional sports, those are the sports that are billion-dollar industries. They have basically an unlimited amount of money. You know, they all make so much money. The franchises are worth so much that money is not an issue. They're just trying to win at whatever realistic cost. And basically, the way that everybody in the traditional sports prepares for games is they prepare video clips. Because that's that's the easiest way to notice your mistakes, right? Because when yeah. you, when you just watch demos, first of all. I mean, you might not notice the right thing, and you might not want to notice. If you're watching your own demo, you're not inclined to think of what you did wrong. You're inclined to find a reason to justify what you did. And I think I think that would be the easiest way. And it's what I've told some people who coach the top teams, is that's how I would teach player X to get rid of his bad habit. 
because I would just clip 10 rounds across the last three tournaments where he died doing that. And I think that would be a lot more powerful way to get Chalmers to actually change their habit, which we both know is incredibly hard. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But video clips, I, I actually I have good contacts with uh, uh, with James, the former coach of, of Liquid. And he is a... He has been in contact with with the guys that are developing these heat maps, or uh, it's actually more than heat maps. It's it's a it's a tool that does so much. Uh, but I, what I got from him was like small video clips of like um, I don't even know what team it was. But it was just examples for for me to give him feedback and see what if I felt that it was good. Mm-hmm. But it was like a two or three minute video clip that where I saw. Uh, a CT pistol round from one team uh, for like f- fifteen different matches, and you all you all you saw was the over what uh, was the overview. So you saw where the players went and mm-hmm. how they how they played, and I I could actually see patterns. So I didn't need a heat map for that. I, I felt like the video clip was actually even better because I could see how they were moving uh, in correlation with what the terrorist was doing uh, in. 15 different matches and I feel like that that is also so much information in so very short time uh, that can be very useful um, like do uh, every every team has a, a guy in CT spawn that rotates if I could see like every weapon round if we make initiation towards a how does he move in every round and I can see that in the overview very quickly and very easy instead of watching um a whole demo where I have to see like okay which are actually weapon rounds and you kind of filter it out really well in a video clip that you can show to the players for like two minutes and as you can see in 90% of the cases he's going to do this when we do that more or less. So that was very informative uh, and I think that that could be an option as well for, for future coaching. What What other things can you think of that don't currently exist that you as if you still were the head coach and actually leading the team in game that you think would be helpful what kind of things do you think you could benefit the most from oh that's a tough one uh <laughs> well as i said the video uh in progress of becoming somewhat of a thing to easily uh, get this information out uh heat maps with filters i'd say that probably be the best thing right now um other than that, it's it's kind of hard to to put a finger on other stuff that could help out right now. Having a coach PC on majors, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's one of those. But it things is an where... interesting topic, though, because there's so much you can do. It's just the my imagination isn't that good right now. It's becoming late. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where you might not know. Until you see it, yeah, exactly. It's hard to hard to come up uh, come up with everything that would be helpful. But I th- I think we basically touched everything we said we were gonna gonna talk about. You think we missed anything? No, I think we covered most of it or all of it. Well, all right. Well, it was very very happy we were able to join, even though uh, it is now even later in Sweden than it is here. Thanks <laughs> yeah. for coming on. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care.